Nerds with Aaron, Paul, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, good morning, guys. How's it going? Morning. Pretty good. You know, uh, I have been re-watching The Bionic Woman, uh, you know, the old Lindsay Wagner series. Mm-hmm. And I thought of you last night, Wayne, because I was watching the two-part uh, Bionic Dog episodes. And, I you know, did not know that. That was a thing. Yeah, because we find out that uh, before Jamie uh, Summers and Steve Austin, they had experimented on a German Shepherd to make a bionic German Shepherd. His name is, you know, you got the six million dollar man. His name is Max a million <laughs> named by Oscar Goldman. Um but, you know, he is uh, – they never told Steve and Jamie about, you know, Max because the re- one of the reasons uh, that they had made Max is they wanted to see what sort of, you know, dysfunctions might occur uh, with somebody with bionics. And, you know, they didn't want to alarm Steve and Jamie by, you know, telling them, well, you know, we're kind of testing everything out on this guy. So stuff that happens to him probably going to happen to you. Well, he starts, they believe he is rejecting his bionics as he age, as he ages. And so this, the whole episode is, you know, what's going on with Max? But, uh, you know, I thought of you, Wayne. I thought that was a show you might enjoy. I, it was, I got a huge kick out of it. It was a lot of fun. I had seen it when I was a boy when it first came out, but I have not seen it since then. And it was a hoot. Yeah. Only if they have a happy ending for the dog. It does have a happy ending for the dog. And, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I will tell you, you know, it was like, you know, midnight last night when I was watching the last episode and, uh, my dachshund is up on the couch with me. And every time, you know, uh, Max, uh, whines or barks or something, you know, his head's just tilting. He was really, you know, concerned about what the bionic dog was saying. And I, <laughs> they put, put me in mind that I need to create a, a YouTube video of, you know, the bionic dachshund. You know, <laughs> because, you know, certainly you get to see how bionics impact a German shepherd. But how would they impact a dachshund? It would be much more annoying. That's what I'm thinking. A dachshund <laughs> would be much more annoying. <laughs> Bionic annoyance. Yeah, but I would think it'd be a whole lot cheaper, you know, because a German shepherd, you know, you got those long legs. But, you know, on a dachshund, they're stumpy. That's true. So I would think that, you know, instead of a million dollar, you know, dog, you know, it might be a buck fifty for a dachshund. (laughs) Well, I think a buck fifty. Well, it is 2020. I mean, bionics are cheaper nowadays. I feel like you should just have a little Instagram video of of a dachshund running, um, you know, with Uh the bionic bionic music (laughs) (laughs) just bionic licking himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well bionic eating (laughs) bionic everything bionic Uh pooping bionic humping my (laughs) other dogs So, uh, note to self, don't look at Aaron's Instagram feed this coming week. For a while, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. So, yeah, I thought of you, Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in news of things you might actually want to see, (laughs) uh, Wayne, Wayne, you checked out the new Netflix show Lock and Key, which I'm excited about, but I'm hesitant to hop in. Because this is, I think, the third or fourth attempt there's been to do a lock and key show. In fact, I think they've actually filmed 
two or three additional pilots when I think it was supposed to be on FX and then it was going to be on another streaming service and then it finally landed on Netflix and we have a full season. Um, How many times do you think that guy has sold the rights to this show? <laughs> I think he only sold it <laughs> once and he's pissed because the shit keeps not happening. <laughs> and, and they, and they, you know, whoever got the rights keeps selling it to other people. Um, and I'm, I guess, I don't know if it's Fox or whomever, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's Joe Hill. You know, as the uh, writer of um, of Lock and Key, the original of you know of the comics, it's Stephen King's little boy. It is Wee King, Mr. Little yeah. Mr. King Junior. That's right. Um, and Gabriel Rodriguez was his co-writer slash artist uh, for the entire run of Lock and Key. So Wayne, how was Lock and Key? I don't know how far you're into it. If the if the answer is only episode one, then maybe that's the answer of how you, how you thought about it. No, I am uh, about halfway into it because I started once I watched the first episode. I needed to watch more. Uh, it is really good. There, there are there are a lot of changes from the, but I think the characters are a lot, lot more interesting than they were in the comic for the the kids. Uh, I don't know if you've read the comic or not, but yeah, I read the whole thing. Uh, okay. At first, I was thinking they weren't going to be as violent as the comic because there are some things they changed in the uh, it wasn't quite as graphically violent in some ways, but there's definitely some violence there uh, dealing with what happens with the kid's father. There's a case of a kid being tossed in front of an oncoming train. So they are they definitely don't shy away from violence. The characters, I think, are all likable. I have no issues with any of the actors. I think they're doing a good job of really adding personality to the characters. And so far, I I started marathoning it. I think the special effects are good. I'm happy with the changes they've made from the comic. I think it makes it a more concise story, better story. So I actually like it better than the comic, which is really surprising because that's almost never happens hmm well i think in a tv show you have to choose the best of the comic right because the comic had i think six miniseries of six issues each something like that um to tell its story over many years and you know things changed throughout the years but now that the whole story's written and they can look back on it and say okay here's what worked here's what didn't and turn it into a tv series i'm i'm, I'm curious about it how, how did the novels fit in paul to the overall story what do you mean the novels well, they're, they're written novels, right? Like, I don't think you know, for Lock and Key. I could be wrong. No, there are. Oh, really? I, that's what I, I did. I've not, read not them. quite understood is how the how the novels – are the novels just a novelization of the comic book stories or are they all different? I just I imagine I, I, they're supplemental material because the whole concept of Key House is that these are not the first nor last people to live in Key right. House. So it could just be supplemental material, other families mm-hmm. – prequel material that kind of stuff because it's always felt like jumping rope on getting into that series and you know it's like when do you get in there and i i just i've always been i don't know i feel like i feel like i can't figure out where to bite this apple i mean it was a uh go ahead i'd say it was an excellent time to get into it because the moment the netflix show dropped there was a huge sale on comiXology for the trades 
Yeah, I've got several of the trades. I just haven't cracked them open. Like so many things in my Comixology <laughs> yeah. collection, I haven't opened it up yet. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I hear you. I hear you, Aaron, because I'm looking at my last couple <laughs> weeks of purchases, you know, because sometimes a sale will hop on or pop up, and I'm like, yeah. oh, well, let me get caught up on Batman. Um, let me get caught up on this. Let me, oh, look at that trade paperback that yeah. I never read. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I'll, you know, and I, I shared last week, you know, that I, I was getting over a uh, upper respiratory infection. And so, you know, when you when you wind up sick, you know, when you've got the flu or something, it's a great time to get caught up on your reading. <laughs> so, I mean, I did get through quite a bit of backlog. I just haven't gotten to that. <laughs> well, yeah, I have 106 books in my backlog, according to uh, my Comixology app. Oof. Wow, that. that that seems uh, like not not a lot in comparison to what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, you know, and I have a, a pretty long flight coming up in April, um, and I know it's only February, but uh, I'm going to Hawaii in April, and one of the flights is a ten hour flight, and I'm just yeah. I, I'm literally waiting. I'm, I'm I, I, it's February, and I'm planning out my ten hour flight already. I'm like, well, what am I going to watch? Because if I read on a flight, I'm just going to fall asleep. And then I'm going to be right. pissed that I only read, like, one comic in ten hours. Right. See, I don't like flying, so that would be wonderful. <laughs> if reading would put me to sleep, then I could just sleep through most of the fight and it would be over. You know, in my older years, I used to fall asleep on flights no problem. Now, I'm because of the, the head, you know, like, when you doze off and your head, like, snaps... Or your neck like snaps out of you know like back or forward or whatever, and you just keep waking yourself up. That's my that's my experience flying. I need to get one of those neck pillows to keep my neck in place so I can actually sleep. I tend to fall asleep immediately at takeoff. Yeah. You know, it's it's when it pushes you into the back of the chair. You know, mm-hmm. and I am out like a light. And I you know I won't sleep for the whole flight, but I'll sleep for uh, a, a a good forty five minutes or so. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I have wake that. up and have missed the beverage service, and that pisses me off. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so there's so much streaming to, to to plan for. So I don't know if I'll get to lock and key before then, but especially with Picard out now, um, they just dropped a new season of The Chef Show, and I really enjoy that. Um, and Is that what it's called, The Chef Show? The Chef Show. It's the John Favreau um, show on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah. I've not seen it, but I've heard of it. It's 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 good. You know, everything's like a half hour, and it's him hanging out with celebrity friends or cooking something. It's it's a it's a. It's kind of like his sequel to uh, Dinner for Five, right? Essentially, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I very, like Dinner for Five a lot. Yeah, it's just very real. You know, it's it's people acting normal in a kitchen and stuff like that. So I enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I just started watching because I have like a trial period. I don't know how long it is. Um, I should probably look into that because I don't want to pay for this shit. Um, Apple TV. Uh huh. So I watched. Jen and I watched. Um, what was the the servant? I think the M Night Shyamalan uh, series that came out on it. Which, oh, I haven't heard about that. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's very slow burn, um, creepy, unsettling type horror. Um, but they also have a show called Mystic Quest. Um, and so Mystic Quest, it stars, it, it features um, one of the actors and the creative team from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Is that the name of that show? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the name. Okay. And it's it's about 
uh, a video game company that's making essentially like a World of Warcraft um, online game, and it's about it's it's a comedy about the video game company and and the stuff that happens behind the scenes. And I'm enjoying it. It's only you know it, it, what I like about it is every episode's only like 25 minutes, and you know there's nine episodes, so it's just an easily you know it, it's easy to watch when you're doing cardio or sitting around and having an extra half hour, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy it. If you, if you like video game but stuff. But it's on Apple TV, so I'll never watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I'm powering through it now, because I when I upgraded my Verizon service to Unlimited, you, you, I think you get a free six months or a free year or something of Apple TV, so I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. But there's nothing here that's worth paying for for me. Yeah. Especially now that... Is it one of those you get? Is it one of those where you get the uh, year service, but you have to put in a credit card and it'll automatically recharge you, and you're going to forget and end up with another year of it? Essentially, yep, yep. Especially since it is Apple, you don't have to put in your credit card information; it's tied to your Apple account, so they'll just charge your shit. You got to love that. Yeah. Well, you know that's how they get you because they know. <laughs> yeah. They know. They fuck you at yeah. the drive-through, Aaron. That is exactly what they do. <laughs> that is exactly what they do. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're talking about streaming services, we're talking about TV, but I think it's time to talk about the big news this week. And, you know, there is, uh, it, it, it came out last night, as of the time of this recording, that Dan DiDio is out at DC. And uh, apparently, you know, there's not a lot of information available right now in regards to it, but... Um, the people who are from you know and people who are reporting on it and and stuff like that are saying as late as Friday morning he was still working on things having meetings um <laughs> making plans to be in a co-publisher panel next week at some convention with Jim Lee and uh you know <laughs> at the end of the day i guess he got his uh, his walking papers my twitter feed my Twitter feed went nuts with support for him from creators, uh, just left and right, even down to uh, Dan Slott even posted some stuff. You know, some Marvel guys were posting stuff, DC guys posting, and everyone talking about how much they like him, support him, and but nobody seems to know anything. Yeah, I, I just I can't imagine what happened over there. You know, I it, it's interesting, right? Because Dan DiDio has done some great stuff, and he's done some some not so great stuff at, uh, at well, DC. It seems like he's a really good editor, right? He's just a shitty writer. I yeah. mean, I can't stand his writing, but he seems to be a really good, you know, uh, creative director, if you will. You know, someone who can who can you know envision you know large sweeping storylines and themes for for the for the line. And does a good job managing that. And certainly, I mean, I've seen this guy live before. He does, he's a great promoter of his product. I think he's a terrific salesman. Yeah. But I mean, when uh, I see him in I, interviews, when I see him talking, like, I, I I like his personality. I enjoy hearing him talk. Um, so it, it's, it's you know, I, I, from that standpoint, I like him. Um, but obviously, some of the decisions that he's made, like the New 52 and and the whole New Age of Heroes coming out of... Um, DC Metal, like some things landed, some things didn't. Yeah, New 52 really landed when it hit. Like, we look back on it now and we have a lot of negative thoughts. It brought people 
the comics. It sold things. It was financially a huge success. I don't think positively of it at all now, but I remember at the time, some of the books were really good coming out of it. Uh, And I know a year ago, they had some massive layoffs over at DC, and I'm wondering if this is just continuing down that front. Like, somebody had to be blamed for the books not doing better and not, you know, and he may be just getting scapegoated. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like, uh, like, most of the books are on track. I mean, I know that, that we have disagreed with uh, the, the take that Superman's on, but it seems to be doing well. Um, they've certainly brought over uh, an F ton of talent from Marvel. I mean, they've got Fraction over there now. They got Bendis over there now. They brought over a number of artists. Uh, it seems like that they, they have really developed their talent. Um, it's just, it's strange to me because I hadn't heard any noise that uh, Didio was, was, uh, on the out, so it's it's yeah. just a, a really surprising development. Well, you know, and I think apparently one, he hadn't heard it either. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's been very volatile. Now, obviously, publicly, you know, you don't see any of that stuff. But if with some of the articles that I've read and putting together, you know, two and two, you see things like like one of the decisions I disagreed with is all the you know the the removal of Jeff Johns from regular comics writing. Right, I don't think that was a Jeff Johns choice. I think that was a Didio choice. Um, and and I think and you hear about some of the changes he wanted to make and some things that landed and some things didn't. And the current rumor is that there's a lot of turmoil in the company regarding this upcoming 5G thing. Um, you know that Scott Snyder um, is and Greg Capullo are working on that upcoming death metal. Uh, book right. and they wanted to do their own thing and Dan DiDio wanted to tie it into setup for the upcoming 5G initiative and apparently th- there was some internal strife there um, but that's you know that's all rumor but I, I am very curious because th- that 5G thing was gonna we're actually gonna talk about a book here in a minute that is related to it as well as they had some setup in the Wonder Woman uh, 750 uh, some setup today the free comic book day book um, is is part of it. They've got these upcoming one shots that are about each of the generations, kind of like the history of DC. Um, they have a generation one, I think, coming out in whatever April or May, whatever solicits were just released leading up to the October launch of 5G. So with him gone and that being one of his pushes, and I'm curious to to see if that's still going to happen. Um because the the 5G and we've talked about it in the past is basically what Marvel did a couple of years ago that backfired on them, which is right. replacing all of their iconic heroes with younger, um, more diverse characters. Right. So Batman would be replaced with Luke Fox. And... Well, and it's it's also not something that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Right. I mean, we did this in the 90s. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, certainly we haven't seen it in 25, 30 years. But, yeah, we this is something that's been done. Uh, to varying degrees of success. You know, we, we, there are three of us here on this podcast who really enjoyed Kyle Rayner. Um, yeah. There, yeah. I, 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 and I think all three of us enjoyed, uh, the reign of the Superman. Um, yep. you know, so, and Wally so, West and that really infused a lot of new readers. Uh, you know, 
I, I, there was certainly a lot of grousing at the time, like, you know, I want my Barry Allen back. I, I want my, my Hal Jordan back. But, you know, for those of us of a certain age, that hit us smack dab in the middle of the eyes. And I'm sure that's the same kind of magic they're looking to hit here. Yeah. Uh, I'm I not sure how successful that's going to be. Me either. And I think one of the things that hurt that has hurt comics since the 90s, right, um, is that these initiatives, these concepts that, the you know, the, these shakeups are all extremely temporary right i think the average length of of anything nowadays is about two-ish years you know one to two years of of status quo change before we go back to status quo whereas wally west and kyle rayner like yes fans will gripe at the beginning but if you wait it out long enough that becomes the new generation's version of that character, just like Wally West, right. just like Kyle Rayner, right. you know. Um, yeah. And but nowadays they don't they don't give that longevity to these things. Um, you know, Jane Foster Thor was great. I like Jane Foster Thor. I mean, Tim hated it, but mm-hmm. you know that was always going to be temporary. And you know uh, yep. the things that are happening now, this five G thing. I have no doubt that come what if it's if it if it actually happens in October twenty twenty. I have no doubt that by October 2022, we'll be back to Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing with the 90s one. Kyle wasn't a temporary thing. He was intended to be permanent. And same with Wally West. And I was very happy with both characters. I never cared about Barry Allen until Grant Gustin started playing him. And I still am not a Hal fan. I'm a Kyle fan. And just Hal is the Green Lantern that's out there. And and I think that's one of the big differences is those weren't those weren't gimmicks. They didn't feel forced to me. They felt like a natural progression of the stories that have been building. Uh, maybe the Green Lantern one might have been a bit forced, but I didn't read the, the stories leading up to it until after the fact. And these all since then have all seemed forced and to get publicity and to not naturally introduce diversity and that's where it kind of gets to me is like i want it to be naturally done i don't want it to feel forced and gimmicky because the moment it feels forced and gimmicky you know it's not going to last yeah well you know and obviously we've seen some of that and we're about to see some of it and maybe that's part of the reason dan didio is out Um, i'm assuming we'll we'll know more in the coming weeks uh beyond rumor but regardless you know i I will hopefully he'll land somewhere good uh, he, he brings a lot of great talent and passion to what he does. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he had some of the, in my lifetime, some of the best moments of DC and some of the worst in his, uh, in his tenure there. I, you know, I think one of the, one of the best things he ever did was, uh, you know, bringing 52, not new 52, but the, the, the 52 series, yeah. the 50, the 52 issues over a year, uh, yeah. in that storyline. I love that storyline. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, there was no, never a late book, no, never a late book. The quality was always there. You had a superstar team of talent on it. Uh, that was fantastic. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that that series, and you know I own it. Uh, I think that that Dan DiDio has really got uh, an eye for the next big thing. And yeah, he's had some things that didn't work out. 
Uh, everyone does. Nobody's a superstar. Nobody, nobody gets it right every single day. Uh, you know, you, 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 you've got to, you got to, you know, swing at a lot of balls to get your, to get your home run. Look, a sports ball analogy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that he's super talented. I don't, I, I would be really surprised if he lands at Marvel. I think it's more likely he's going to land at a, at, at some third party publisher. Yeah, or, or not maybe even, not even in comics at all. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of imagine he'll end up in some type of media, you know, television yeah, or, yeah. or movies. I agreed. agreed. I think someone of his level role, he won't go to another comics company because it's going to be a huge step down. I think he moves off and his career away well, from comics. I also believe he's probably got a, a pretty big non-compete in his contract. Yeah. Uh, and also you know, a pretty decent golden parachute. You know, guys at that level sure. don't get ousted and like, okay, yeah. you're ousted. Here's your two weeks pay. Goodbye. No, that yeah. dude, he's fine. Go file for unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. I'm sure he's got a great big golden parachute and a uh, a wild non-compete. Uh, but yeah, I, I would not surprise me to, to find him doing doing a show for Netflix, yeah. you know, being a producer or something. So Well, you know, so we talked about Wally West and the 5G and both of them uh, are are very very much a part of Flash Forward. Um so we haven't talked about Flash Forward mostly because none of us have been reading it. <laughs> um so Flash Forward is a 6-issue miniseries from Scott Lobdell, <laughs> our 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 favorite. Um and our Brett, favorite, yes. Yeah. And Brett Booth, <laughs> friend of friend of the podcast, Scott, <laughs> Scott Lobdell. Um <laughs> a 6-issue miniseries that is kind of the redemption and setup for Wally West, right? So it takes place after Heroes in Crisis, um and it's kind of it ultimately is about a travel through the multiverse and ultimate um, ultimately the ascension of what, uh, of Wally West is what they call it. And so we, we talked a little bit about it previously, I think uh, at the end of last week, but uh, so Wally West in this issue has uh, found a place in the dark multiverse where his children are still alive or is still exist. And in this issue, the the only way to get them back to the reality is to assume the powers of Dr. Manhattan and Metron. Because uh, at the end of Doomsday War, Doom, Dark Side War, um, Dr., uh, Metron was killed by Dr. Manhattan and Dr. Manhattan infused his power into the chair. And so we see that happen in this issue, um, Wally West kind of assuming that role. And this goes a little bit back to the Dan DiDio thing, because I think when Jeff Johns reintroduced Wally West in the pages of DC Rebirth, um, I, I don't think he had the intent for Wally West that has basically been taken over by Scott Lobdell, because Scott Lobdell wrote the Titans book, you know, that featured Wally West. And then we had right. Tom King in Heroes in Crisis, and now we've got uh, this flash forward book. So I don't know what his original plan was for Wally West, except maybe just bringing him back. Uh, but now he's gone again. Because Wally West has assented to the power of Dr. Manhattan and the reality altering powers of Dr. Manhattan. Plus, he's got that wicked chair. Yeah. So <laughs> so this is the only issue of this series that I picked up. Um, unfortunately, as soon as I saw Tempest Fugit, um, or not, no, not Tempest Boy, you wanted to check out, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, fuck that. Like the, yeah. that, that is that Dan DiDio, Tempest Fugit, Watcher slash Galactus character um who uh -huh. literally looks like he has an infinity gauntlet on his hand i i seriously did want to check out 
Um, I will say, I haven't read this series, but I, I don't feel like I needed to read the previous five issues. <laughs> to, yeah, to no, understand I think what was everything happening. you needed was writing this book, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you, you get to see Wally reunited with his kids, which was sweet. Um, I, I it, it's interesting to me, you know, because they're not really his kids; they're an other, other universe Wally West's kids. But I guess they're close enough for him. Um, but he's able to save them from the dark multiverse and move them, I guess, into regular continuity. That's what I gathered from this book. Yeah, that's what I gathered. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I did kind of zone on the Tempest Fugit pages because, boy, he is uh, – Scott Lubdell is just way too chatty in the narrative on this book. I mean, it was just it's, – it's a wall of words on a couple of pages, and I was yeah. just like, oh, come on. Um, so lots of exposition, uh, which, you know, uh, I think worked against the effectiveness of this story in a couple of places. But it was, you know, smack dab in the middle of the feels because I really enjoyed – uh, the resolution on this and that the kids get pushed to Wally's wife and she all of a sudden remembers them now. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I thought, I thought it was a nice ending to this story. Yeah. I thought so too. I thought it was, um, it's a nice resolution to a story we didn't read. Uh, but I'm glad those characters are back. Uh, the only thing I would say is that I'm very frustrated at the treatment of Wally West because he yeah. was brought back and I'm like, great, we're going to get Wally West. And we never really did get that Wally West back, right? Um, he came back damaged and here is a crisis damaged. and stayed damaged yeah. it, all through the end. And now he has sacrificed yeah. his, his soul essentially, because he has no feeling. He has no emotion. He has no memory. Yeah. Because one of the things that the Mobius chair does is it infuses you with all the knowledge of the Mobius chair, which includes all of Metron's knowledge. I assume all of Dr. Manhattan's knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's because there's so much information, it pushes out anything that's not data, right? Yeah. That it just pushes out the the your soul, if you will. You are now just cold logic and knowledge, uh, like Batman was when Batman sat in the chair. Yeah. So in the case of Wally, they're taking away everything that makes the character the character. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a frustration for me, but I will say. I am also kind of intrigued um, by the, the last couple pages, despite the fact that I am sad at the treatment of Wally West since his rebirth. Um, I'm actually intrigued at what Wally West, because one of the things he says is since the creation of the Mobius chair, it has been content to observe, right? Met Metron was pretty much DC's version of the watcher. Um, right. But he says, you know, in this, since the creation of the Mobius chair, it has been content to observe Today is a new day, a new vocation, and a new me. So I think this is... And there's a smile on his face. Yeah. It zooms in to show a quirk of a smile. Yeah. So are we going to... And I think, again, this is going to lead into... Uh, this says Flash 750. So I'm assuming that's where we'll see the next you know, um, bits of 5G uh, creeping into reality. So, you know, we saw, again in Wonder Woman 750 where Wonder Woman was the first superhero and she inspired um, Alan Stewart to take on the mantle of Green Lantern. I think we're going to see reality altered in such a way um, that DC has said everything, everything happened, right? Um, everything you know has happened. So I think we're going to see some type of combination of all continuities to lead into the 5G initiative, assuming it still happens. 
Yeah, <laughs> but I, well, I but the, I, the look is badass though. I honestly, despite it, really is. It, it, he looks great in the in that costume. I, I, I love the Doctor Manhattan, you know, hydrogen symbol up on his head. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, it's really it's really pretty cool. Um, I got to tell you, I didn't think I was going to like the book. Uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, and when the rest of the when the previous issues of the series go on sale, I'll pick those up. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we, we talked about Wally West. We might as well talk about one of the other Titans. Well, he was never a Titan, really. Um, Red Hood, uh, who features very prominently in Deceased, The Unkillables. Um, issue one of three came out this week from uh, the writer of Deceased, Tom Taylor, but with a new artist on this series. Um, and I'm not familiar with the artist. Um, Carl Mostert? Most Mostert? Mostert? Um, uh, so this is a, a, a three-issue series that features kind of the more villainous characters that have been left behind on Earth. And in this first issue, we see what they do uh, during the events of the original Deceased. So what did you guys think of this one? Oh, Wayne didn't read it. Aaron, what would you think of this one? I uh, thought the colors were great in this book. Mm-hmm. I thought the artwork sucked. Really? Uh, I really did because so many of the of the characters... Uh, uh, particularly Jason Todd don't look like anything. Uh, I, I feel like he, he the, some of the, I, I, I should, let me back up. I think the art was uneven. Uh, there are certain pages of this book where I just feel like Jason Todd doesn't look like anything. I didn't feel like Rose, uh, you know, uh, Deathstroke's daughter looks like anything mm. except when she's in costume, she does, but without the mask, same thing with Slade himself. He doesn't look like Slade. With his mask off, I just I feel like he 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 draws costumed heroes really well, but when the costumed heroes are out of costume, they just don't have much character to them. Uh, they just mm-hmm. seemed rather wooden. So you know, I feel like Red Hood looked fine when he had his hood on, but there is there is a whole page where uh, they're in the Batmobile and Jason Todd's talking to Commissioner Gordon and Batgirl, and all their faces just look like somebody who doesn't know how to draw a human face mm-hmm. that is such a common uh, artist problem in comics and I, I hate it it just pulls me out of the story yeah i mean jason todd he, he he's drawn in profile a couple of times in the car and he he just looks like you know some 13 year old who's doodling a guy um, it doesn't look like a professional comic book artist. And I'd like to point out that his use of space inside the Batmobile makes it look like they're sitting in a living room versus driving around in a car. Yeah, it's rather um, large. Yeah, I mean, well, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the 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 uh, setting is just not appropriate for the space. Um, so that that really bothered me. Um, I enjoyed the story a great deal, but the artwork was a real bummer for me. Yeah, the, the artwork is a stark contrast from, I think Trevor Harrison did the art on the original Deceased series, which was yeah. which sold the mood very effectively. Um, this art, for anyone who reads Avatar books, this art kind of reminds me of an Avatar book, like Crossed or Uber, uh, when Uber first started. It, it kind of strikes me as that Avatar feel that house feel that they have over there on those books. Um, but I, I, I didn't have as many problems with the art as you did. Um, especially because outside of, I thought the action sequences were well done. I thought the man bat, you know, flying through the air. I thought that was a cool sequence. And I, I know some of that is more the, the writing and the pacing. Um, 
this has a lot of great emotional beats, just like the original Deceased. Uh, you know, D- D- Red Hood has... It, it, this is about Red Hood discovering what has happened to, to Bruce and Dick and um, Tim. Uh, because right. if you've read the original Deceased, you know, Damien and, and um, Alfred escaped the Batcave. Uh, but also a character that, you know, you don't you, you, you may not have thought of, which is Ace the Bathound. What happened to right. Ace? And I, I, I thought that was a very touching scene. And I know we all have soft spot for dogs, a soft spot for dogs. Um, so seeing the, 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 the moments, especially in comparison to flash forward where things were so wordy, if, if flipping through this book, there are emotional moments that have no words at all. And I thought the, but they where's were sold bat well. cow, Paul, where's bat cow. <laughs> we know what happened to bat cow. <laughs> um, he was delicious. <laughs> and you also get, you know, what happened to commissioner Gordon? What happened to Harvey? Uh, not Harvey Dent. Um, the uh bullock harvey bullock yeah you know i i I, this is very much a continuation of the emotional beats and storyline of deceased and i thought despite some of the the concerns about the art being so different or in 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 your case you there were aspects of the art you didn't like if you liked the original deceased there's really no reason to not read this book because it's really well done i agree i the story's really good. Mm-hmm. And again, the colors are, are fantastic. I, I think everything's firing on this book except the pencils. Yeah. For me, you know, I was definitely worried. I was worried because I didn't want, just like anything else, just like Marvel Zombies or whatever, if something does well, they tend to do it to death. And I was really worried that, that <laughs> literally, um, yeah. it's going to happen with Deceased. But no, this 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 feels like an appropriate extension of the book without feeling like just a money grab, um, especially since Tom Taylor's involved and there are, there is an emotion to the story or, um, that's not, it, it doesn't just feel like, Hey, here's some cool shit that happened. You, you get some good character moments. Agreed. Unlike justice league 41, which I hated. Really? (laughs) I did. I don't, I shouldn't say hated. (laughs) I was so lukewarm on it. I was like, huh? Okay. Well, I just read 20, 20 pages of nothing. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's, it's because it's intended to be a bit of a palate cleanser and not quite as clusterfuck crazy as the Scott yeah. Snyder run on the book. Um, but I'm like, I read it. I'm like, I, I don't even know what just happened in the book I just read because nothing felt worth it to me. Like, it just felt like, okay, here's, here's your everyday run of the mill comic. And maybe that's good, but especially compared to deceased, I didn't really get much out of it. But what, so, what Wayne, what did you think? Yeah, I picked this up not knowing it was a part two. Uh, so I didn't read the first part, and I haven't been reading Justice League. I just mostly got it because I like Eradicator. Eradicator! Yep. And I will say it did. I get what part. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. There's no real substance. It's just a, it's kind of a, a fight scene through beginning to end. Uh, there were some things I didn't like about it. There were some things I did. But it felt fun. And it didn't feel overly deep or heady. And it did feel, I can see it being a palate cleanser, as Paul described it. But yeah, I enjoyed it. But I said I didn't realize that it was a part two. So I had no lead up to it. And it was just a very run-of-the-mill, typical superhero team fighting, invading forces story. 
I always enjoy seeing Eradicator. And, uh, you know, I like that they're bringing in Daxamites to, to whoop up on uh, the Earthers in the Justice League. Uh, I, I, I Again, it was just a fun book, and, and I enjoyed it a great deal. I thought the artwork was great. Uh, got a real kick out of watching, uh, you know, everyone get their asses handed to them. I, I think the only downside of the book is I was – uh, did not care for the Batman pages uh, where he's talking to his Xanadu, uh, the uh, magic user, whoever she is. Who is that person? What's her name? Madam Xanadu. Madam Xanadu. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did not care for. I did not care for those pages. But other than that, I enjoyed this book a great deal. So what I'm curious about from the first part, since I didn't haven't read it, it doesn't seem like anyone knows what Daxamites are. Has all of their previous stories, including the previous Daxamite invasion prior to the new 52. None of that happened, I'm guessing. And nobody knows what I, they are. I actually honestly, think I that have... they clear that they did know, um, because that's why Batman, not uh, that's why they're pursuing magic users, because they know that Kryptonians and Daxamites have a vulnerability to magic. Well, and I think that the Eradicator has bred out their lead uh, vulnerability. That you was going to these... be my next question. Yeah. Is uh, they have a pretty big vulnerability in the past. Nobody has tried just shooting them. <laughs> well, I think uh, Eradicator bred that out of them because these are uh, homegrown Daxamites. Yeah, I do think that was in the last issue. And it, yeah, I, I, I should say I didn't hate it. It just felt like I don't know. Maybe it, that's not a bad thing. It just felt like okay, well, here's another issue of Justice League. It's over now. Yeah, but the art is great. Um, I will say the Aaron Lepresti art is is beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds yeah. me of the type of comics that that I loved growing up. It's got that Jurgens, um, Norm Ratman feel to it. So I, I did like the art very much. Yeah. Well, and I thought Eradicator was nicely handled. Some a lot of times I don't feel like they handle Eradicator well, um, and I, I I enjoyed his presence in the book. I thought I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I like the Eradicator as kind of the anti-hero for a bit, but I think he's better as the villain. He's much more interesting as the villain trying to bring back the glory of Krypton. Yeah. 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 I dug it quite a bit. Um, Another book I really dig is uh, Fantastic Four. Um, uh, Issue number 19 uh, by Dan Slott and... uh, uh, Sean Izoxi, I'm going to guess that's how you pronounce that. Uh, the artist Sean Izoxi is is number one. It's a gorgeous book. It concludes the uh, uh, point of origin story arc for the Fantastic Four. I was actually quite a bit behind on this book, and so I had to read uh, the last three issues to get caught up. Uh, but boy, I'm glad I did because those read really well together. Um, this storyline really has drawn into question the origin of the Fantastic Four, particularly, uh, you know, we've all understood, you know, since uh, 1963, I believe, that uh, the Fantastic Four were created because Reed did not appropriately shield their spaceship when they went into Earth orbit. Uh, and thus they were all, in, you know, uh, assaulted by cosmic rays rendering them into the Fantastic Four. And as such, you know, there has always been this sort of uh, storyline where Ben blames 
Reed for turning him into the thing that if Reed had, you know, waited, had, you know, done the proper preparations, he never would have had to have been the thing. And, you know, that's a story that kind of comes and goes, but it's been there since the the beginning of the series, uh, way back when, when Stan and Jack created it. This story explains and reveals that it wasn't Reed's fault, that there were other, there were other forces at play. And I got to tell you, uh, when this story first started, I always kind of hate when they go back and they re-tinker with the origin like that. Yeah, it's same here. It normally I hate it. I yeah, enjoy it here I, though. I thought they I thought Dan Slott handled this really well. Um and it explains some things. Because there are some things that just don't make sense in that origins uh, story to me. And it's that Reed would have been so foolish about the cosmic rays. Um, that he would have that he he would have raced to get things done and not afforded the appropriate protections because while he is stupid about people he's not stupid about science and that is has always been the thing that didn't measure up so was it intentional did had he intentionally exposed them to the danger or was something else at work and I thought this series worked that out nicely yeah I really enjoyed it I a, uh, I do think their big villain ended up becoming super science buddies with Reed a little too easily after everything that happened. I agree. But that was really my only drawback to it. I, know, there was they're one, working together. Go ahead. There was one thing I didn't like about the book, and it was in the previous issue where the thing is, you know, realizes that uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Oversight. Is that his name? Oversight. Uh, Overseer, overseer. Um, he he's the guy who pushed the cosmic storm on the Fantastic Four. He made it he made it a bigger cosmic storm than it than it was otherwise going to be. Reed's calculations were correct. Uh, however, he didn't know that the storm would amplify, and this guy had done it because he had foreseen. That the that if the Fantastic Four's mission was successful, their rocket ship would have landed on their quote perfect world and destroyed their culture. And so his intent was to hurt the Fantastic Four and prevent them from coming. He didn't realize that he would actually create the Fantastic Four. I'm not going to refer to them as the Fantastic Four. Just Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny as normal human beings. His uh, amplified cosmic storm turns them into the creatures they are, creating the monstrous thing. And, you know, Ben Grimm has always been that reluctant hero. He just wants to be a normal guy. Uh, you know, the fact that he is, you know, this this great big rock monster, uh, he has turned that into a good thing. But it has certainly uh, put him in a life that he hasn't really wanted. You know, he, he would like to be a normal human being every day. Um, so when he finds out that the overseer did this, he is going to go kick his ass, uh, you know, and, and you know everyone else in the book is like, oh, shit, Ben's going to kill the guy. And you see Ben and he go at it. You never see the actual punch. And that's what I missed from the book. That was the thing that disappointed me. You see Ben haul back. You see the overseer knocked down, but you don't see the actual punch. And I, I really felt like that would have been cathartic for me as the reader and they really – they never showed that. And that, I found that frustrating. Yeah. So uh, what did you think about the new character, Sky? I, I personally really like her. 
I do I'm too. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the character. One of the things that they did in the book is that they they had this perfect culture on on, on this planet that, that that they visited, and the you know after the Fantastic Four are created, the Overseer realizes that he needs to create his own heroes to protect their world because he knows the Fantastic Four are coming. Um, so he exposes his own people to cosmic rays, and those people who are beautifully powered you know the 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 reed susan johnnies those guys all stay get to stay up in high town right they get to stay up where all the beautiful people live those people who are monstrous like ben Grimm, they have to go to low town they they live down in the the depths the the ruinous area that they have built their beautiful city on um one of the things that this guy, you know, his power is to see the future and to, to see consequences and actions. He's able to identify soulmates. And so, you know, you don't choose, hey, I, I, I like Jill over there. Jill and I, I'm going to ask Jill out for a date. No, no, he, he pair bonds you, right? And so, uh, you know, they all, they all wind up, you know, getting soulmated. Well, when the Fantastic Four get there, immediately Sue and Reed you know, are identified as soulmates, you know, big surprise there. Well, Johnny is identified as a soulmate to this character called sky. Who's got wings and flies and talks to birds apparently. Um, and they get pair bonded, which, you know, there are are, are all these jokes in the book, like, well, you know, it's crystal all over again, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which I I was getting a big kick out of. Um, there were some jokes earlier on about, you know, him, uh, you know, dating a scroll, you know, or being married to a scroll, you know, so, you know, it's yep. Johnny and a girl again. Well, uh, he, they pair bond and, you know, she had previously been bonded with somebody else, but this is supposed to be her actual soulmate. And, uh, it carries through the book. And I, 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 I was not really open to this storyline when it first started earlier on in, in, in the, in the arc, but by the end of it, I was in. I was in, and I, I like that she came along to come home. Yeah, because they, as they developed her character, she, she was a fairly conflicted character. Yeah. You know, she wasn't sure which who to side with, and she seemed like a strong character too. You know, when she came back and decided she was going, you know, but throughout it, I mean, she makes jokes with them. She seems interesting. I think she's going to be a good addition to the cast. And they also set up the next story arc in here. I, you know, I got a white wingfoot story. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that Dan Slott did in this book is he told an old style Marvel story. He started laying in the next arc in the pages of the last page of this book, um, in the last pages of this book, um, and did it really well. I mean, you're like, oh, great! I can't wait to read that. It, it's not, you know, a fully contained story. And that's all you get. You're getting the seeds for the next story coming up. And I thought he did. He did it was a really nice sort of uh, uh, send up of the way Fantastic Four stories used to be told. Yeah. Uh, why, and, and slants, I, uh, why Slot's take on Fantastic Four is working for me is he is really capturing the family feel of the book. Absolutely. And not just the four, but the extended family of it. Yeah. That their friends are their family, too. And I haven't seen a – there have been some really good Fantastic Four runs, but it's been a long time since I've seen this feel for Fantastic Four. Well, and it's fun. You know, it's not just one thing. It's a lot of things, and it's fun. I, I, I dug it, and I, I'm in for the, for the next uh, story arc. So Yeah, I uh, really I, enjoyed the other 
character jokes they made around the uh, the soulmate bands. Yeah. Things like, well, I guess your soulmate's not an archaeologist, and you know, I guess yours <laughs> isn't a uh, Atlantean prince. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I like that uh, Slot is so familiar with the Fantastic Four that he can make deep cut jokes like that, you know, because I think a lot of people know the the, the uh, Namor reference, but not a lot of people know the Lady Archaeologist reference. And I like that. I like that Dan Slot's got that not that that deep knowledge and he's comfortable making those kinds of jokes uh, in the in the context of the series. It makes it feel more rich. And uh, I think there's a lot to like here. So, Paul, what's coming out next week? There you go. (laughs) Wayne beat me to it. Right. Um, Well, since we're talking about Fantastic Four, X-Men and Fantastic Four issue two from Chip Zdarsky and Terry Dodson. We talked about the first issue last week. Issue two comes out next week. And if you are a Fantastic Four fan, Jerry Dugan and Ron Garney are teaming up to do a one shot Fantastic Four Grim Noir. Um where Ben Grimm is, uh, Ben Grimm throws on his hat and overcoat to solve a mystery that's come alive right out of his nightmares. What is Doctor Strange's nemesis despair doing on Yancey Street? Uh, oh dear. That seems intriguing. I like Ron Garney as an artist. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So we'll see. Um, in addition to that, from Marvel Comics, you have, uh, I don't know why I'm calling this out, but just because if anyone was a fan of Force Works, uh, back in the day, Forceworks 2020 comes out next week from Matthew Rosenberg. Was, it, was anybody a fan of Forceworks? I don't think so. Maybe, no. I, I, oh, I, I assumed. <laughs> wait, I bet you Tim was. <laughs> All right, so we're skipping Forceworks. Like, like that's a dig on. I, I feel like that's a dig on Tim. No, no. <laughs> uh, and from DC Comics, uh, a couple of books: The Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, issue three comes out. If you're following that series, that is the the. Um, Battle between Joker and uh, the Batman Who Laughs. Uh, also, from DC Comics, a book that I will not be purchasing, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, Leviathan Dawn, uh, comes out. The the sequel to the Leviath, Event Leviathan miniseries. Picking it up. I'm sorry? Picking it up. You are? Yeah. Mm. Mm. But <laughs> uh, one book that I will pick up, is Batman Superman number seven from Joshua Williamson and Nick Darrington. We were very excited about this um, arc when it was set up in in last issue uh, featuring Ra's al Ghul and General Zod. God, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it's got Nick Darrington art. Yes. Woohoo. Yeah, I can't wait. All that and more next week. Exciting. Well, you know, we'd love to know what you thought about this week's books and maybe even next week's books. We just want to know what you think about books. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, Geek on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Excellent. Well, we will see you next week, guys. Woohoo! Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.